0: I'm preaching this morning and uh, I always enjoy uh, preaching. It is, it is always wonderful to have the truth of God and, and to be able to proclaim it. And so this morning I'm going to be doing a, <clears throat> a prolonged series. Um, so we will continue this series when I next preach. Um, so that could be next Sunday, or that could be three months from now, which is okay. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but I'm saying a sense of to remind you that when I come up, we're going to continue this. Um, And the reason why really is, and I'm going to use a little bit of the beginning just to promote, uh, I think, a vital skill, and that's memorization of scripture. Um, When I was being discipled and becoming an elder in my previous church, Scripture memorization was a vital tool that we had to do. It was something that was important, and I had a very significant four years of my life where I committed much uh, verses to memory, and those verses still stay with me. And so as a Christian, um, it's something that we should be doing. And so I say that story not to lift myself up, but to point to the fact that um, after those five years, as you can imagine, life happens, you have kids, and... Next thing you know, you're not memorizing, and you're struggling to put Scripture in your heart as you were before. And so my wife and I found um, these bracelets. I'm wearing one today. If you want to see it later, I can. And these bracelets are just simply meant to be worn to help you memorize Scripture, and I found it very helpful. So on a side note, if you're looking for a way to memorize Scripture or something to do with your children or a gift for a niece or a grandchild, I highly encourage you to think about getting these uh, bracelets is a way for them to wear scripture and also to learn. And in wearing one of these bracelets, I came across one of the verses, which was Romans 12, 12. And it's a wonderful passage, I think, for life. I think it's a great text of what the Christian life should look like. And so we're going to be looking at Romans 12, versus, uh, excuse me, Romans 12, 12. And we're going to kind of focus on some of the three elements within that section and we'll continue those other three as we move on with the series. But this morning we're going to be focusing on hope as the slide above me says. If you will bow your heads and pray with me before we begin. Father we are thankful for the fact that your word speaks to us. That it is alive. That it is the word of God given to mere mortals. That it is not simply a mythical book that we hold in high regard, but it is actually the words of the living God. I pray this morning that these living words would speak into our lives, they would convict, they would confirm, and they would change our hearts to be more like Jesus. We are thankful for what you're doing in this church. We're thankful for what you're going to do through your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in Romans 12, 12, it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient and tribulations and be in constant prayer. Now, that is a simple summation, I think, of the verses around it. But I think the verses around help condense and show us how that is to be lived out. One of the things that as I've gotten older, it's constantly a desire of mine to ask myself, what does the faith look like lived out? What does it look like for me in my 20s, in my 30s, my 40s, and beyond. What does it look like to actually live out the faith as a husband, as a man, as a father? And I think this is one of these great passages that we should be looking to as brothers and sisters in Christ to get an idea. So read with me as we read through Romans 9. We're going to read 9 and 13. And then we're going to come back and talk about those particular, verses, or those particular words in verse 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now it certainly goes on to give more, but I think these are some key verses for our lives that we should radically consider adopting and doing in our day-to-day walking. I think so often as a young person, the, the problem I've had with growing up in the church is everything is spoken in abstracts, right? God has a great plan for your life. God has a destiny for you to fill. Well, what does that look like? How, how am I supposed to fill that? How do I convey the message of the gospel to people? And so I've always struggled with that, but when you read verses like this, 9 through 13, you see a very clear example of how that is fulfilled. What does it look like to walk in? In the truth, to walk in God's ways. And so we see the first part, 9 through 10 and 11, right, talking about this zeal for the truth, restraining ourselves from evil. And then we see 13 particularly focusing on how that's played out in love for one another, right, contribute to the needs of the saints, and to seek to show hospitality, to be loving people. The church is a place of love. We know that right from John where Jesus says, Through your love for one another, they will know you are my disciples. And so this morning we see this two things being pointed out. The fact of living a life of sin-free and pursuing sanctification and a life of loving. But in the middle, we have that verse 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I love this section here because it is a reminder of what we should be doing daily. It's a great verse to remind ourselves of how we are to go through our day. Because days can be hard. They can be a struggle. They can be a soul breaker, even if you want to use such strong language. But unless we are walking through these kind of verses, reminding ourselves to rejoice in hope, reminding ourselves to move forward in the light and truth of the gospel, sometimes life can overtake us. And so that's my goal this morning is that we won't be overtaken by these events and that we will remind ourselves of the truth, which is the gospel. And so looking at this hope of the Christian faith, right? We're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about the hope of Christ. It's not a mysterious hope. Um, I think so often in our current world, mysticism and New Age has kind of seeped its way into the church, right? Hope is this ethereal thing that you're trying to grasp. You're trying to kind of figure out what it is. It's far off. It's, it's hard to define, I think, for some believers. So if I were to ask you, what is the biblical definition of hope in your mind, what would your answer be? Think about it. What is hope according to the Bible? Then I would ask you, how is hope evident in the life of the believer? Because there is something there that we have to be able to work through. Hope is lived out in the lives of those who believe, and yet it is seen not, but it is seen through faith. So this is something we're going to come back to, but I want to first notice this that we have our verse of hope, right? Rejoice in hope. And so thinking of that, we want to look at some verses that regard to hope. And hope in the sense for the Christian is not just a in-the-moment thing. It is a multifaceted diamond, right? It has multiple views of it. And one of the things that we need to remind ourselves is that hope has taken place in three distinct time periods for us as believers. The past, the present, and the future. And so as we walk through hope, we want to remind ourselves of this truth, that hope is not merely um, far off. It's not merely for tomorrow. We don't simply think of hope as that thing that's out there. It's the person that's out there. It is an actual event for, from yesterday and today. So let's look at hope for yesterday. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We are so fortunate to live in the new covenant, and I, and I think we forget that. I think there's that initial joy when you first become a believer, right? The excitement, the zeal for what you have found in Christ right? This hope of the gospel. So to go back to my question of what is the biblical definition of hope, I would say it's the gospel. And I would say verses like Romans 15.4 point to that. I was going to think of a clever analogy, something to talk about hope versus then and now, but really Romans 15.4 does a much better job conveying that truth that we are blessed to be in the new covenant, that the old saints looked with longing to what we have, We have a defined and distinct hope. Our hope is not ambiguous. It is not something that we are waiting to be revealed. We know what our hope is, and it is Jesus Christ and his forgiving us our sins. And so we take for granted that sometimes. I think it's easy to sweep that under the rug, right? It's easy to forget that we have an example of people in the Old Testament, our Old Testament saints, looking with anticipation, with longing towards the truth that we live in, the new covenant, the spilling of God's blood on the cross, Jesus dying for our sins and being resurrected for us in the new heavens, the new earth. And so we tend to forget those things. So we look at verses like this. I love this verse here from Psalm 39, 7. And what now, O Lord, for what do I want? My hope is in you. I think of, immediately, when I think of the hope of the past, I think of Abraham, right? And what does Jesus say about Abraham? He longed for what? For my day. Abraham knew that Jesus was going to come. And save our sins now did he know it exactly as i just said it no right he was looking through a foggy glass right he couldn't fully understand how god was going to save him from his sins how he was going to raise him from the dead how he was going to fix so much of the brokenness that was in the world and that is what is wonderful about where we live in this time that yesterday points to this fact that they were longing for hope They had a hope that was was there, but they couldn't see it clearly. They couldn't understand how God was going to save them, how God was going to work in their lives. And we see verses like that. The pleading of, and now, O Lord, what do I want? My hope is in you, right? There was this notion that they knew it was coming, but they couldn't understand it fully. The Old Testament saints only had little glimpses here and there, right? They had the shadow of the cross. They had the figure of of Jesus not yet displayed to them, it was still unclear. And so we see that this is something that is uh, discussed over and over in the Old Testament. We see it in Proverbs, right? Surely, oh, sorry. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. There is this notion that there is hope out there. If you think about Psalm 1, It says, what about the righteous? The righteous shall stand in the assembly of God. Right? There is a future for the righteous. They knew that there was something greater coming, right? That Israel, the physical, was not merely all there was. And we know that later in Hebrews it says that Abraham wasn't looking for a physical place, but a heavenly dwelling. And so imagine what it must be like to be Abraham now, to have lived... In a time when this was all unclear, and him thinking about us today, how we have a clear vision of hope. And that is what Abraham was looking forward to, that there would be a hope, they would not be cut off, that their hope would be fulfilled in someone and something. In some ways, the Old Testament saints had a more abstract idea of hope than we do, right? They didn't understand how God could be both man and human. They didn't understand how the scripture was going to be fulfilled in Jesus. They had not been given that revelation. And so it takes the coming of Jesus, it takes the cross for that hope of the Old Testament of yesterday to be fulfilled. And so when we look at the Old Testament, one of the things we want to be thinking of when it comes to our notion of hope is reminding ourselves that we are indeed blessed to have the prophets, the, the Psalms, and the wisdoms of Proverbs to point us to the truth that the cross fulfilled the hope of the Old Testament saints. That we live in a time when in today we know who our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus, right? We think about it. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Christ's righteousness, right? We live in this period where hope has been fulfilled. We now have the objects, the person that we turn to for hope. And so what a glorious time we live in. And so so often when we are downtrodden, we, we forget where our hope is. It's because we've lost sight of Jesus. We've lost sight of the fact that we are blessed to live in the new covenant era with other saints who worship and follow him. And so it's important to remind ourselves that because I think, COVID has shown one thing, right? When all the churches were shut down and people weren't going, that hope was in desperate need. And so when we think of hope for today, I think it's gracious that God uses an event like that, the lockdown. Whether where you stand on that politically, doesn't matter. The key is that it's showed us that we had to have hope to keep moving forward, right? We are hope-built people. And so when we think about hope from the Old Testament and moving it forward into the new covenants, we see the person of Jesus. And so for our next section, I want to look at the hope for today. And if you want to turn there, go ahead and turn to Romans 8, 18-25. And of course, I'll have it up above me. But we want to look at hope for today. So we can look at the Old Testament and we can see the hope that was foggy and in a sense far off because Jesus had not come yet. And then we have to ask ourselves, so what does hope look like for today in 2022? How do I... Apply hope in my current life, in my current situation in Jesus. And so I think, certainly using COVID as an example, we live in a very desperate time. Um, I could tell you that there is not much hope in our world, right? And I think it's, it's constantly evident. It's, conf- it's evident in the way our politics are going, in the way we see the world moving. And yet, as Christians, we should be joyful because we actually have the hope for the world, which is Christ Jesus. And so, when we stand today, there's three points that I want to take from today in hope in terms of this for our lives today. We should be able to look back at the Old Testament. We should be able to look around us, and we should be able to look forward in that regard. And so I'm going to read verses 18 through 22, and then we'll stop and discuss it. But starting in Romans 8, 18 through 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. I love this first section here because it reminds us constantly, right? What does Paul do here? He goes back to the past, right? For I consider the sufferings of this present time. Well, what do our sufferings come from? Well, they call it from the fall. They come from sin, from brokenness, right? From the discommunion of God and his people. But he immediately ties it to the future as well in the present, right? That glory is to be revealed to us. Paul constantly reminds us that we have to be able to be honest, but with that honest eagerness looking forward, right? To be revealed. Paul wants you to remind us and remind you that when you're suffering, you need to be thinking of the glory that is to be revealed. And he goes on to explain that that glory doesn't just extend to us. It extends to all of creation for the sake of God, but through us. Look at 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation longs for the renewal, not just simply for itself, right? Not for the line of the Lamb to lay down together. But creation looks for right restoration between us and them. Between the sons of God and all of creation. It's a wonderful thought to think that God is not done with humanity. Think of heaven and earth, right? And I want you to think 10,000 years into eternity of heaven and earth. What is it going to look like? We don't know, right? But my speculation is this. It's not going to look like sci-fi, metal buildings, minimalism, super clean, high-tech gadgetry. I think it's going to look like technology infused with creation. Right? Look at that verse. Creation longs for the eagerness, the revealing of the sons of God. Imagine what it's going to be like to have unbroken fellowship with God as we have unbroken fellowship with creation for all eternity. I don't think eternity is going to progress to a sci-fi novel. I think it's going to look more like the Garden of Eden in the sense of us communing with what God made us to roll over, right? The creation longs for the Son of God, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, right? Right? The ground now bears thorns and now bears weeds. We're in the middle of a drought, but you know what's growing really great in my front yard? Those dandelions, right? They just grow. I don't have to water them. If they were beautiful and and they looked great, I would never have to water my grass, right? But grass, flowers, takes a lot of work, right? But futility of of the creation is evident to us, right? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, right? In hope. So there's this notion that, Again, Paul goes back to the past after just being in the the future. and says, remember, you live in a broken world, right? The creation shows it all around you. It's going to be over 100 degrees today. It's not going to be real pleasant to be out in the sun. The sun is going to cook you if you stay out there too long. But it is not the end, right? This broken world is not the end in where we live. It is merely the sign of something greater to come. Okay, continuing on in Romans 8. Let's continue. Verse uh, 21. That the creation itself... Will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of Son, the redemptions of our bodies. We were reading a book in my uh, literary class. And the guy dies of old age. Have we just? Have you ever stopped to think about how strange it is that you can die of old age? You just you get too old, and that's it. It's not natural. It, it doesn't seem right, right? It, it is a phenomenon that is is unnerving to us. You just stop being. Um, that's not natural, right? What do we see in these verses? We eagerly wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Your body's groan for the freedom, the hope that is in Christ. The fact that this brokenness will be restored. And so often as Christians, we forget that. So when you wake up, I was telling um, Colin, I slept on my hand wrong and it hurts. And then Joseph gave me a good meaty handshake and I thought he broke my hand. It hurt really bad. Um, that's just, I'm sleeping, right? That's just sleeping on my hand. But it's, instead of grumbling and complaining, it should be a simple reminder of what? What? There's a hope. My body has a hope in Jesus. And so often, I think as Christians, we forget to be like Paul. The thorn in the side is put there by God to remind us of what's coming, something better, the anticipation of the revealing of the sons of glory, the sons of God. And so we see verses like this, right? Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, right? Not only them, but we ourselves. I love this. Con- connection he does here right we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we have the first fruits of the spirit through the new covenant the spirit abides in you the spirit lives in you so it's not just merely me this morning up here it's not just merely you this morning sitting there it is the spirit within those who believe who fills us this is something we want to point forward to. Now, Paul goes through this whole thing, right, of looking towards the future. Your broken bodies, the broken world. Everything is going to be fulfilled. Everything is going to be renewed in the new age of the kingdom of heaven and earth. But look where he goes with 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with hope patience. He takes that longing for what is off in the future kingdom of heaven and earth and brings it into the now. Right? For in this hope we were saved. Right? We are saved in this hope. The hope of what? The hope of the gospel. The hope of Jesus. Okay? But he doesn't just leave it there. He continues. For not hope Then what is seen, for hope for what he sees. Right? For who hopes in what he sees? In other words, um, as I get older, it is real easy to find hope in modern medicine. It has been really fascinating to learn things. Um, I, had, I have heart disease that runs in my family. I recently met with my doctor. And he said to me, which I was really shocked when he said this, he said, in our current age and where we're moving with medicine, people dying of heart attacks should be a thing of the past. And I just this blows my mind, right, that we can move that far and progress. But yet, so often as, as humans, we try to find our hope what? In the now? How can I elongate my life? How can I live as long as possible? How can I be as healthy as possible? How can I have a better family by Friday, right? How can I find hope here in the now in what is around me? And we have to be careful of that, right? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Every day you wake up is a day of patiently waiting for hope to be fulfilled. That's a hard thing to think about, because we don't like to be patient, right? If you go to Walmart, your patience is tested, okay? Uh, For those who are old enough to remember life before Wi-Fi, right, you can remember what it's like to have dial-up internet or no internet at all, and now, right, when your phone doesn't load in 30 seconds, you're like, what is wrong with this thing? My life needs to get moving, okay? now, maybe those aren't your struggles, but there is something you struggle with with patience. And in this is certainly something we have to remind ourselves. We lose sight of our hope. We get impatient with Jesus, right? My body hurts. You need to come now. I'm having real troubles, real brokenness in my life. You need to fix them now. I need a church that does things better because that's going to fix my life. I need X, Y, or Z. Whatever it is that we think of, we need to remind ourselves, as in Romans it says here, right? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, I think Christ uses all of life to remind us of things. I think of Christmas, right? You think about being a child. How exciting is the buildup, the anticipation of Christmas, those presents on the tree, and every day your mom says, don't touch. Every day you want to you open them, but you got to wait patiently because you know on that day when you wake up, and it is actually Christmas, and you get to go under the tree and open those gifts, the joy, the excitement. We sometimes need to remind ourselves that's how we need to be. With anticipation, there's something far greater coming in this world, right? We wait with it for patience. And so this is a pivotal uh, pivotal and vital thing for us to remind ourselves, that the hope is something that we do now, but it's longing for that which is coming. Now, we could stop there, but I think that Paul connects the next verse, importantly, to us. Now, he talks certainly about prayer here, in regards to um, the Spirit, but the Spirit is simply part of our lives now. Verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows with the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, here in the following verse, or the previous verses, Paul's talking about, You have a hope. Be patient in your hope. Now, does that sound like we're alone in those first verses? Potentially, right? You're the one has to be patient. You're the one who's got to hold out. But we're not alone, right? 26 clearly connects that to God has not left you alone to hope. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And praise God that we live in the Spirit age, that God has seen His Spirit who lives in the today, right? Jesus is in heaven ruling in a physical body waiting for His glorious return to earth. Right? He's in the future. But the Spirit is present now. The Spirit is in the body and in the believers. He is with us this morning. We're not left alone to hope without a connection to God. We're not simply adrift on the sea of faith. Right? We are grounded to the truth, the bedrock, which is Christ, through the Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. I, I love that language, that God speaks on our behalf in the midst of today for the hope of tomorrow. The Spirit has not been, a, been a taken from us. The Spirit has lived among us. It is a wonderful thought to think about because again, as we've all struggled through the thought of why can't I just have Jesus right here next to me? Yeah, that creates problems for every believer, right? Who's Jesus going to go home with after lunch or after service? Whose house is he eat at? But with the Spirit, we all have the Spirit. We all live in the Spirit. We all move in the Spirit. And we are not left alone. It's one of the beautiful things about the Trinity as we confess this morning this notion that God is with us, that my assurance of faith can be known. I can know for certainty that I am in Christ. And what's more wonderful and beautiful is it's not just simply up to me to know. The Spirit assures it in me. He's the down payment, the proof of my belief, right? The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God is active in your life. That's why we don't just have hope for hope's sake. We have hope today because the Spirit abides in us. God has not forsaken nor abandoned us. He has given us his spirit. And so we see this being played out that the spirit lives in us. And so we have to be mindful of our, of ourselves that sometimes we can get discouraged that we might forget that the spirit is active in our lives, that he is with us at all times. We're going to jump a little bit. It's okay if you don't turn there, but we're going go to Romans 15:13, which says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace Believing, So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And that is a comforting verse, right? That God is a God of hope. He's not a God of despair. He's not a God of, we did that already, or far off. He is a God of hope everlasting. Hope to come now and hope to come in the future, right? With all joy and peace in believing. One of the reasons that as a believer... If somebody says, why do you believe in Jesus? This should be a key thing for you because I actually have real joy and real peace in following Jesus. It's not temporal. It's not an ebb and flow in terms of I got to go find the next best thing and the next best thing. It is eternal, right? In that sense of joy and peace in believing so that by power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This should take us to a place every day where we pray, God, fill me with the hope of the gospel. Fill me with the hope of life to come in the struggles I have in my life, in the trials I have in my life, in the things that I'm going through. This is a great reminder of that. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We're to be bounding in hope. Right? It's one of the reasons that I personally want to be a person who doesn't just say, well, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. We just, it's all the worst ever. It's never been worse in the history of humans than now. Careful, right? That doesn't necessarily sound like somebody abounding in hope. Okay? Hold on to hope. Things can be bad. Things can be dire. And I'm not trying to downplay that. And I don't ever want us to have a superficial hope, right? Where We're just happy, happy. No Joy can have deep moments of pain and sorrow too, but it holds on to that which is real, right? Through the Spirit, that God is the God of hope. In Hebrews 6, it says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. This is another thing I think that's vitally important for the Christian to do, and that is to do life together, that we have to be a church that is connected. Um, that certainly means Sunday morning, and I think it means as well doing life together, that we spend time with one another. Because hope has to be refilled. You have to be encouraged by the words of preaching, by the words of teaching, but by the words of fellowship, right? And Titus, what does it say to the older women to do? Teach the younger women to love their husbands. That is hope for a marriage right there that my wife needs to hear, that younger wives need to hear from older women, right? They need to know how to love their husbands. They have to have hope in a marriage to last the whole marriage for their whole lives. Right? It says to the older men, likewise to teach young men. There's a hope that is passed down through the church. God has not made us to be an island of believers. He's made us to have hope that is built and strengthened together. And so that's one of the reasons that I think COVID was a dis- blessing in disguise is because we realized, man, it is lonely on my, my own. It is lonely when we are not gathered together. It is lonely when I can't be with people who are full of hope. And so, so often we limit ourselves in terms of having hope because we're not willing to be together. And so this is a good reminder of that we see in Hebrews 6.11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, right? Eagerness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And that is a beautiful verse. I'm, I'm 35, and I know that for you, those of you that are older than me, there are many trials I have not yet faced that you potentially have seen and faced. There's trials that I need to see hope in, that there's going to be times in my life it's going to be dark. I'm going to be at a low point, right? Things are going to be hard. And the same for you in your lives. But look what it says in that 6 11, right? To have the full assurance not to have the full wishful thinking, not to have the whole, my fingers are crossed, I hope it's, everything's going to be all right, right? But assurance, to know of the hope until the end. Whenever that end comes, that is what the Christian life should be. It's your funeral, when, it's, when someone is giving your eulogy, that is something I hope they will say about you. They were full to the end of the hope of the gospel, That is a profound statement that we all need to buy into one another and live together. The hope for the gospel today is through the Spirit working through our lives as we patiently wait together to see that hope fulfilled. And so then lastly, thinking about our hope, and we've touched about it, right? Because hope can't just be contained to the past. It can't be contained to the present. It has to go forward into the future. Okay? Okay. We're going to move on into the day of tomorrow. Before we get there, though, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians, because it's going to help us move forward into that future. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Helmets, are they pretty important? They're pretty important. Um, If you ever ever wanna have a good um, comical experience, come watch Talon's baseball team play. It's coach pitch. I have the pitch to the kids, and yesterday I hit a kid right in the head. Um, Yeah, it was was an audible gasp when I hit him. Now thankfully I'm just tossing it, I'm not pitching full speed. But his helmet worked really well and I was very grateful that he had a good helmet when I hit him. Um, He was fine. So if you wanna see some terrible pitching, come see that. But the helmet's important, right? We all know helmets are important, okay? Um, When a son gets a bike, a motorcycle, one of the first things I'm sure a mother buys is a helmet. Uh, She wants to make sure he is protected if she could not persuade, dissuade him from buying the motorcycle. But we see the same notion here within the analogy of armor, right? Put on the helmet of the hope of salvation, right? Are you actively putting in your mind the hope of your salvation? This is a calling for today that leads into tomorrow for our futures, for when we are standing with God in glory. And so this is an important verse that I want you to think about, right? Because we're going to connect it to another verse there. But are you putting in your mind the hope of salvation? Are you dwelling on it? Are you letting the Spirit work through your brain, through your memory in that regard? In 1 Peter 1.13, we see this verse. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As the verse said before, since says, today is today. Since you are in this present, right, there is a movement within New Age to, to say, be aware of it. Take a moment. Notice your surroundings. Be aware. Right, there is a little truth in that. Of what? That we need to be present today. We need to be reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. The danger is that where New Age takes it, right, is this place of therefore erase all thoughts and just be in the moment. We have a moment in the sense of what? For us, for the believer, for the truth, we know it's the moment of being sober-minded, setting our hope fully on grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And I really like the wording here from Peter, right? Preparing your minds for action. We don't tend to think as hope as a preparation for action, right? We think hope is kind of a last ditch thing. Well, I hope my team pulls it out and wins. Um, That's not the hope we see in the gospel. The gospel hope leads people to action. It leads you to change your thoughts about the future, how you plan to go through life, what you aspire to accomplish, What are you setting your mind for? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace, right? The gospel that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. There is going to be this tremendous thing that happens when we are standing before Jesus. He will avail himself in all his full glory. And that full glory will be so glorious for all eternity, we will be amazed by it. But that's not the only thing, right? It says, we brought, the, the, the grace we brought to who? That will be brought to you, right? As we read in Romans, your bodies will be renewed. Your minds will be renewed. You will be made perfect in Christ. So at the same time, we are glorifying God and Jesus for his glory for all eternity. We'll be glorifying God for all eternity for the fact he has renewed us as well, right? I mean, heaven is going to be this place where we are constantly amazed at the glorious gifts God has given us, the fact that He's revealed Himself fully, but He's also renewed us fully in Him. And so as we look forward, right, we want to remind ourselves that the hope is that the revelation of Christ Jesus is coming. He is coming back. He has not abandoned us, right? He has sent us His Holy Spirit as a down payment, but there is going to be a time when we sit face to face with Him. One of the things that I love about the Lord's Supper, and one of the things I love that we do it weekly, is it is a weekly reminder that we are going to sit at a table one day and break bread with Jesus? Like it's not just some ethereal thing. Some, some we're not going to stand at church in heaven and look at a picture of Jesus and go, "Wow, isn't Jesus so great?" He's going to sit at a table with us, and he's going to pass the bread to us. He's going to call us by name to eat with him, to rejoice in the fulfillment of this hope. We see in first, Peter. And so we have to remind ourselves that that hope is there, that the revelation is coming and it's going to be something we need to constantly renew in our minds as we look forward to eternity. And it's something that we should be teaching ourselves and to our children and our grandchildren and to the church in large. Look at what Hebrews six eighteen says. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who f- fled for a refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. In this current situation, God is our refuge and our stronghold for us to look to the hope that is coming. The truth is that, right? God is not lying to us. He cannot lie. In our Wednesday nights, we've talked about some of the things that God can do, His uh, attributes. One of them is, God cannot lie. So in that sense, God tells us hope in him is for eternity that we will be fulfilled, right? We are going to be renewed in him. Our hope that we should be teaching to our children, our grandchildren, to one another is that, right? Reminding each other the hope is this. God fulfills his promises. God is faithful. He does not turn away from the promises he has made to us. In Titus 1-2, we have another version of this being reiterated. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. I love that verse. I love that verse because it reminds me of the truth that God has been promised his hope to us before time began. And eternity past, God knew he was going to send Jesus to pay for our sins. He knew that he was going to forgive and bless us through His Son before the ages begin. To hope we have to hold on to. In hope of eternal life. Living with God unbroken. Right? This is a good verse to, to dig into when you're in a dark place. Right? When you're in a place where hope is not really shining through. Before time existed, God had a plan for you. To bring you into eternal life with Him. Right? One of my favorite things to, to think about when I hear a preacher say, God has a destiny for you. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's eternal life. It's already been solved um, in that sense, right? It's not this magical ride he's going to take you on in the sense of, you know, fulfilling all your eternal, excuse me, your, uh, your desires here on earth, right? It's an eternal blessing. It's an des- eternal destiny for you, not simply ending here in this life. In hope of eternal life, which God, who has never lies, promised before the ages began. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. And then in Colossians 1.5, we have this. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. When we wake up and we go through life, when we think about living out on this world, it is a real and solid hope. It is a hope laid up for us in heaven, it's not some random treasure. It's not something that we're not sure what it's going to be. It is life renewed in our bodies. It is life unbroken with Christ in heaven. And you've heard of this truth in the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And so as a, as a Christian, this is the glorious thing of life. It gives us real hope. I've had to go to many, or we've had many deaths at Roswell High this year. Tragic, tragic deaths. And I went to one of those funerals. And it was not very hopeful. Uh, it, was, it was hard to kind of sit through because there were, I there was no real hope for those people. This is the glory of the gospel, is it gives people actual hope and joy and peace. And so one of the most effective ways that you can actually be a witness to people, right? Is not maybe learning a clever, which I'm not saying these aren't helpful, but they certainly can be, but not learning a you know clever uh, five-articulative F-A-I-T-H thing on your hands and being able to articulate that to people or having a really good handle on your tracks and those kind of things, which certainly can be helpful. Evangelism can look like that. But I wanted to look at, to close, First Peter and think about this as a way to which we should live our lives. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks You for reason for the hope that is within you. This should convict us in two ways, right? That we should know our Bible, right? The defense part. But also it's a defense of the reason for what? Why are people asking you to defend what you believe according to this verse? For a reason for the hope that is in you. If you are known by people who aren't believers as a hopeless person, that's a really bad sign of where you're at and you're standing with Christ. You should be a person of hope. We are in a time where hope is desperately needed, right? And we need to be that hope for those around us because those who do not believe, they have no hope, right? Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's it. I'm going to enjoy what I got now because this is all there is. I'm going to have a broken relationship with as many people as I can because I have no hope. I don't know how to have actual authentic relationships with people. I don't know how to engage people without it being serving to me. There has to be an end game for me, right? That is the world that we live in. But Christ is calling us to actually live in hope, right? For a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, right? Defend the faith, but they should see the hope within you. Going back again to John. They will know you're my disciples for your love for one another. Love is founded in hope. For hope of that which is coming. The love of Christ. Right? But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. I have hope for my children today. And I have hope for my children tomorrow. And I hope for you today and you tomorrow because of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Be hopeful people because there are people who need hope. We live in a hopeless society. Will you be the hope of Christ to them?